0: Okay, so before we jump into the text, young ones, if I could have your attention, I'm going to give you a preview, tell you what the scripture is going to be about, what the sermon is going to be about, where we're going. So young ones, we're in Romans 7, New Testament book, Romans, and in Romans 7, the Apostle Paul is talking about like the law of God and what God's people have to do with the law of God. You know, think Ten Commandments stuff. In Romans 7, 7, it says this, what Paul says, what then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So what Paul is saying there is, he's saying the, the, the law is not bad. No, no, no. He says the law shows God's people that we're bad. So it's like when your parent tells you, hey, don't hit your brother, don't hit your sister. And what do you immediately want to do? You want to hit them. Like, you know, if you see a sign that says keep off grass and you're like, I'd really like to step on that grass now. Uh, you know, it's this thing of like rules show us that we're actually really not that good. It's like there's this thing called a marshmallow test. It's, it's been done a bunch, bunch of times. It's this thing where like teachers will come and they'll put a marshmallow in front of a little child who's like all alone in this room by himself and be like, okay, here's a marshmallow. Don't eat this marshmallow. And if you don't, when I come back, I'll give you another marshmallow. And then the teacher leaves, and the student, you know, the little child doesn't know when the teacher's coming back. She's so sitting there trying to, like, follow the rule of, like, don't eat the marshmallow, don't eat the marshmallow. All these kids try to follow this rule, and they, some of them do it by, like, they try not to look at it. Some of them are just, I'm just going to smell it, and they just, you know they just smell it. Some just, like, take a little nibble, like, just nibble, 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 nibble. But they, none of them can follow the rule, like, don't eat the marshmallow. You know, one kid just immediately is, like, puts it in his mouth, and then blah, spits it out, and he's, like, slapping himself, like, oh, 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 and then just eats it. One girl, as the teacher's saying, okay, don't eat this, she's looking at the teacher, and just starts, as getting the rule, like, just eats it. By the time the teacher's gone, the is already gone. Like, that's us. Like, rules don't get us the reward because we don't follow the rules, and that's what the law shows us. The point of God's law, like the Ten Commandments, young ones, shows us that we're not good enough to follow the rules to get God's reward, to get his blessing. That's what the law shows us. And and this is the big thing. The law is not meant to save you. And kids, y'all need to hear this because y'all struggle with this thing of I have got to be good enough so God will love me. Y'all struggle with, and you're going to continue to struggle with this thing inside of you that says, I've got to be good enough so God will save me and get me to heaven. And, And then there's this thing of, and you know you screw up and you know you mess up and then you start beating yourself up. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Be free of that. The law does not save you. That's not the point of God's Ten Commandments. The point is to show you Yeah, you're actually not good enough. And then the law points you to the one who was good enough for you. And that's Jesus. That's the gospel that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life of obedience for you. And then he died for your law breaking. You are saved, young ones, last thing, you are saved by good works. You are. Just not your good works. You're saved by Jesus' good works. And you need to believe in him. Don't believe in yourself. That's the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about here with the law and God's people. The law shows us who we have to run to because we're not good enough. We're we're going to be in Romans six. We're going to start in verse fourteen because this is where Paul has started this conversation, and then jump to uh, the first half of chapter seven. I just got to say this to everyone before we jump in. Romans seven is one of the most argued over passages in the New Testament, if not the most argued-over passage. As in, like, what is Paul saying in Romans 7? We're taking this chapter in two parts. This is part one. This is really good you're here for part one. Uh, Because today, it means that we're not saying everything that we're going to say about Romans 7 right here today. And what we say today is crucial for understanding what we're going to say next Sunday. Last, most important here. What is going to help us understand what Paul is saying in Romans 7 is keeping the main point the main point. And the main point of Romans 7 is all about the law of God and what God's people are supposed to do with it. So with that, please stand for the reading of God's word. Beginning in chapter 6, verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin... Verses 1 to 6 kind of tells us where Paul has been and where he is going for the next chapter or two, two chapters, um, and, and we're focusing this morning on verses 7 through 13 uh, to, uh, to flesh that out. The, the word law, it appears 23 times in Romans 7, and that doesn't include the word commandment, which appears another six times. So, law, law, law. Paul is talking about the law of God. And Paul's teaching on the law that salvation is by grace, grace alone apart from works of the law, that was very, very unpopular. And it had been very misunderstood and misinterpreted by the people that Paul is preaching this to. So the accusation following Paul now, wherever he goes, is Paul destroys the law of God. That's the accusation. Paul preaches against the law. Paul is anti law. The view in that day amongst Paul's own people, the Jews, was that the law was given at Mount Sinai to Moses for the good of God's people. That was also the common view in the early church. It's still a common view in the church today. God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai for Israel's good. Here is the law. The arrangement is here is the law. And if you obey the law, you will be blessed. Okay, the common view is that it, it, it's that that's a good arrangement for God's people. Paul says he used to hold that common view until he realized how wrong it is. Verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Paul says that the law, and he's talking about the law given at Mount Sinai, he says it kills God's people. Paul has just been saying in Romans 5 and 6, we need to be delivered from the penalty of sin, and we need to be delivered from the power of sin, and now here in Romans 7, Paul says, and we also need to be delivered from God's law. Sin is a problem for God's people, and God's law is a problem for God's people. And Paul knows that raises the question like, whoa, 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 Paul, are you saying the law of God is a bad thing? Like if the law kills us, then is the law sinful? <clears throat> and Paul is very quick to answer. No, the law is not sin. But the law reveals sin. It reveals the sin in God's people. Verse 7, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And then Paul explains himself. And here we go. Because this is where the ink Uh, begins to get spilt by New Testament commentators. Who is Paul referring to with this first-person singular I stuff? Like, who is the I? Like, is Paul speaking personally as a Jew? Or is he speaking personally as a Christian? Like, is this pre-conversion Paul talking, or is this post-conversion Paul talking uh, and this is going to come up in the second half of Romans seven two. This is why this is important to address this right here. You got to remember the main point. The main point is the law. Okay, when Paul says in verse nine, "I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died," that does not make sense of Paul personally speaking, because Paul was raised as a Jew. Like Paul, all if you know Paul in his life, which we do through through the book of Acts, Paul always loved the law until he met Jesus on the Damascus road and became a Christian. Paul loved the law. Paul is not here describing himself as an individual. Okay, it, so it, we can get at this this way. What point in time is Paul referring to when he says? When the commandment came, when the law came. The Bible never talks about the, when the law came to one person. It's, that's not how it talks about the law. It talks about when the law came historically. When did the law come historically? Mount Sinai, Moses, Ten Commandments. That's when the law came. So Paul is not talking about when the law came to him like as a child. He is talking about when the law came to Israel historically. He is describing himself as Israel itself. Paul is speaking in the first person in solidarity with the Old Covenant community. And the question Paul is asking is, what happened on Mount Sinai when the law came? Well... He says, the law killed Israel because it revealed sin in God's people. And Paul says, let's just take that 10th and final commandment as an example. You shall not covet. The 10th commandment is a command to be content. That thing of you shall not covet. You got to be content in every situation. You got to not desire what other people have. Okay. Do you th- just, that's the command that, that's given to Israel that they're supposed to follow every day every day do you think you could go one day without coveting could you go could you go one day with absolute contentment could you live just one day without comparing yourself to anyone else or comparing your circumstances to other people's circumstances go one day with no self-pity no victimhood no frustration over your circumstances no critical spirit of others no jealousy no envy No looking at other people wishing you had that body or that job or that success or that relationship or that house or that vacation. Could you live an entire day with no bragging, no name dropping, no boasting, which is all done out of insecurity and coveting? I mean, could, like, imagine, imagine you're listening to Moses rattle off the Ten Commandments. You're sitting there, like, and you're probably nodding your head, like, not a murderer, okay? Yeah, not an adulterer, okay? Not a thief, check, check, check. Feeling pretty blameless right now under this law, okay? And then last but not least, like, no coveting. And you're like, ah. Like, ask someone later, ask someone who knows you really, really well, hey, am I the most content person you know? Exactly, in the lab. Like, ask yourself this. A- ask yourself this, just right now for a second. Is there any part of your life that you're totally content with? Like, just one part that you're just absolutely content with? I mean, this is where Paul says Israel is awakened to sin. Like, do not covet. Like, that discontentment in me, that sin. That's God's standard? Well, that's in me, so I don't measure up. Paul says the law came and exposed sin in God's people, and the law did not fix the problem. Like verse 8, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Like the law points out the problem, and then he says, and the law did not fix the problem. The law did not fix Israel's coveting problem. What the law did do was awaken them to their sin, and then the law stirred that sin up that was already in them. It's like poking a sleeping bear. You're not just waking the bear up. You're stirring something up in that. Like, so back in the 4th century, St. Augustine, old, old uh, leader in the church uh, in Africa, St. Augustine tells a story in his book called The Confessions that when he, we, when he was a teenager... He broke into a private, I can never say this word, it's not orchid, it's orchard, right? Yeah, he broke into someone's orchard, orchid's a plant. Okay, he broke into this private orchard, garden, and he stole some pears off a tree. And then later on, he's reflecting back on it, thinking, hey, why did I steal those pears? I wasn't wasn't hungry. And, And even if I had been hungry, I don't like pears. Like, I wouldn't have gone after pears. I hate pears. I threw those pears away to some pigs. Like, why did I steal those pears? And then he realizes, I stole the pears because someone told me they were forbidden. Like, until someone told me I couldn't have those pears, I didn't want the pears. I had zero interest in them. As soon as someone told me I couldn't have them, yeah, I wanted them. Paul says the law doesn't just expose our sinful lawbreaking, but what is behind our sinful breaking? We don't like the lawgiver The law stirs up that thing in each and every one of us, in our hearts, that says, nobody tells me how to live, except me. No one tells me what I can and can't do, except me. So Paul says, this is not a winning arrangement for Israel. Like, it was a works arrangement, as in, obey, and you get blessing. Disobey, and you get the curses. The curses of the law. And we've got to be really clear about this. We can go into some detail about this. We're not going to this morning. The law was not about getting the blessing of the kingdom of heaven, not about getting heaven itself. That's only ever been by grace since the fall, not by works, okay? No, the law was given to Israel as a works arrangement to get the earthly kingdom of Canaan. It's a picture. It's a parable in history. Obey and you get to keep the land of Canaan and have an earthly kingdom. Disobey Israel and you will get curses. And eventually, you keep on disobeying, you're going to lose the land. You're going to get kicked out of the land and it will be taken away from you, and that's exactly what happened. And you see this shift, um, you see this shift immediately in Israel's relationship to God with the coming of the law. Something big changed in Israel's relationship with God when the law came. Like, go read Exodus. <laughs> go read Exodus. When Israel is first freed from slavery in Egypt, and they pass through the Red Sea, and God brings the Red Sea down on, Egyptians ar- on, on Pharaoh's army, and he defeats Egypt. Like, Uh, they, uh, here's Israel on the other side of the Red Sea, they're freed, and they start heading toward Mount Sinai, and they immediately start complaining. They're just freed from slavery, they're just freed and saved from uh, Pharaoh's army, and they start complaining. Exodus 15, they're in the desert, they come to some water, it's bitter, and they grumble against God. And what does God do? He makes the water sweet. He blesses them. Like, you freed us for this, and God blesses them. They sin, God blesses them. Exodus 16, they're in the desert, and they get hungry, and they grumble against God. Did you really bring us out of Egypt to make us starve here in the desert, God? Like, what are you doing? And what does God do? He provides manna from heaven. They sin, God blesses them. Exodus 17, no water, not even bitter water. It's just no water, and they grumble Moses strikes. A, Moses like all y'all do is grumble, and he strikes a rock. Water comes out. Water flows. They sin. God blesses them. Israel is on the way to Mount Sinai, thinking this is a pretty good. This is a pretty good relationship. Like we kind of do whatever we want, you know. And uh, God blesses us. Then they get to Mount Sinai. God comes down in fire and lightning, and they get the law. Do this, and you will be blessed. Don't obey, and you'll be cursed. New arrangement. And what do they do? They make an idol of the golden calf to worship it, and is there blessing from God? Nope. At that point, God strikes down 3,000 Israelites, and then they start heading out on their way to the promised land, Uh, and Numbers 11 tells us that on the way, they grumble against God about the food, and God, what does he do? He sends a plague. They sin, they get the curse. Verse 10, the law, this is Romans 7, verse 10, Paul is saying the law came, and though it promised life for obedience, Israel is disobedient, and they get punishment after punishment. Paul says, given their sinful nature, that law actually only became an occasion for death. Israel thought, yeah, give us the law, God, and we'll obey and we'll be good to go. Like, this is going to be a good arrangement. But they were, de- Paul says, they were deceived by their own sinful nature because they cannot live up to the law. They cannot live up to God's standard of obedience. And you may think, ah, you know what? It would have just been better, like, to not have known the law. Ignorance is, is bliss. This is about a month ago now to the day. Uh, Ryan and I were on a flight. The flight lands, good landing. Uh, and the flight attendant comes on and says, y'all. Come on everybody that landing and we're all like yeah you know what that was good that was good landing yeah yeah okay yeah woohoo yeah all right And she's like y'all that was the pilot's third day and his first international flight give it up and we're like <laughs> are you kidding like don't tell us that don't like ignorance is bliss we don't want to know that stuff um except, you know and here this thing of yeah i think ignorance is bliss ignorance is not Ignorance is actually not bliss, Uh, and it's not an excuse of, man, I wish we just didn't have the law or know the law. Paul has already told us that this thing of the law of love, God, love, it's already on our hearts. It's written on our hearts. Everyone really does know this. Even the Gentiles know this stuff. All mankind, so ignorance is not an excuse, and here's the thing that Paul is saying is, listen, God's law is not a bad thing. God's law is It's giving it to Israel. It is this, like we just said, parable uh, writ large in history for all the world to see. The law is not bad. The law shows God's holiness, defining right and wrong, good and evil. It showed his perfection, and it shows his one standard of living for all people. It is perfection. This is a holy, holy, holy God and the law showed God's power and goodness, promising blessing on all lawkeepers, threatening judgment on all lawbreakers. His promise to uphold this thing that we are so you know in love with today that you he upholds justice, true, absolute justice. This is why Paul can say the law was a ministry of glory, and is a ministry of death and condemnation because the law exposed God's people's sin and it punishes you for it. Moses' ministry of the law, it could not bring life. It could only bring punishment. The law could not save. But the problem was not the law. The problem was people who did not perfectly fulfill the law and that was The point. The Mosaic Law was supposed to convict Israel of their sin, supposed to show them their total inability to satisfy God's righteous demands. So the law was supposed to drive the sinner to the grace of God. And some today will try to argue against this and say, nah, that would have just been too confusing to the Israelites. You know, God giving them a law and saying, hey, if you do this, you'll get blessing. If you don't, you'll get cursing. That would just make them think that they could actually live up to God's law and get get blessing, even the blessing of heaven itself. Yes, some did make that mistake, but that is a gross misinterpretation because the point of the law was the exact opposite. The whole reason God gave the law was in order to shut up Israel under sin and show them that they couldn't earn anything good from God through law-keeping because they didn't keep it. And then it would lead them to God's grace, to the one who did. Because Jesus is born under the Mosaic law. Remember that, like, remember the history, like that's what's in force when Jesus is born as a Jew in Bethlehem. He is born under the Mosaic covenant, this covenant of law, and he does keep it perfectly. But this is really important. But Jesus did not save us by fulfilling the Mosaic law, but the old, but the because that's just about getting Canaan. But the old Mosaic law covenant it provides the context. It provides the context for God's people to understand what Jesus really did come to do. Paul has already told us in Romans 5 that God the Father made a covenant of works with God the Son to do the work that Adam failed to do in the garden to fulfill all righteousness and more to pay the penalty for Adam's sin and for our sin. And Jesus' penalty, it wasn't exile from the land of Canaan. No, it's what that pictured, the real ultimate curse, that on the cross, Jesus was exiled from God's presence. And Jesus perfectly keeps that the law of the eternal covenant between him and the Father, and his reward isn't just the, you know, this earthly kingdom in Canaan, his, but it's what that pointed to. Jesus' reward is the eternal kingdom of the new heavens and the new earth. You... Paul is saying, you have to be delivered from the law of God. And that's what Jesus did for you by fulfilling it for you in his life and in his death. God has a good purpose in killing the old covenant community with the law. It's that the new covenant community, through Jesus, would find life through the gospel of grace. Too many, too many think that Christianity is about creating a righteous record and giving it to God who then rewards you. Paul says the good news of Christianity is about a perfect record of righteousness that God creates through Jesus and he gives it to you as a gift. The truth is what we just said to the kids, you are saved by works, just not your works. Go tell everyone you know today, hey, this is what I learned at church. I'm saved by good works. Just not my works. I'm saved by the work of Jesus Christ who lived the life that I should, fulfilling all righteousness, loving God, loving others perfectly. And he suffered the wrath for all of my law-breaking that I should suffer. He took it on the cross. I am saved by his life for my life, his death for my death. Loved ones, the law is one thing the gospel is another. Getting blessing from God based on works, that is one thing. Getting blessing from God based on grace, that is another. That's the gospel, and that is what you are called to believe. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would, this morning, bless us uh, to believe in Jesus and not in ourselves, as, as we look to our broken lives uh, and our, our sinful, law-breaking lives, that we would, we would not rely on ourselves, that we would not rely on good works, that we would not rely on the law, what it cannot do, what it was not meant to do, Father, that we would not rely on ourselves, but you would again point us to our Lord and Savior and to believe in him to believe that we are not under the law, but we are under grace. And Jesus has done what we cannot do and help us to hold that out to our loved ones. Help us to hold that out to each other as we struggle with this thing of wanting to be better. Lord, help us to remember we're saved by grace, not by anything we do. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.